Welcome back to Mari's Music. My name's Mari Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And we have a lot to talk about. How you doing today, Spoon? I'm doing pretty well. I am just getting over a basic classic head cold, which the listeners may uh, be able to detect in my voice, but otherwise I'm doing just fine. Thanks. Well, please rest up right after this. Uh, don't rest during this, but as soon as we're done with this episode, please go back to bed, and we hope you're feeling better very soon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, you, you know what the music means, Spoon. We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Good to go. You know, it's uh, I'm authentically well. Thank you. Speaking of that, I'm not sure how you handle all of your complicated passwords, but I have an app called The Authenticator, <laughs> and I wondered if you've ever used that to make a D18, a D18 authentic, and so forth. Did you know if that works? Uh, no, but I've I know several human authenticators uh, who had a great deal to do with the uh, development uh, of what's now called the Authentic Series at CF Martin and Company. Well, we've done a lot of series here on Martins and more, and I'm really excited to eventually get to maybe the pinnacle, the top of the heap. The authentic guitars from Martin are some of the very best, certainly some of the most authentic when it comes to the way they used to make them. What do you think of when you hear that term? Oh, well, I think of the, the whole line of them. Um, I think of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite authentics. For many years, it was my favorite authentic model that came out in the very first year that they brought the the modern authentic series out, which I'll get to later on. How's that? And the reason I ask, I see a lot of chatter on forums and on Facebook where Martin might use the term authentic in a certain way where if you've got a D28 authentic, what does that say about someone else's D28 that they bought three years ago that's just the standard series D28? I don't want any listeners out there to get the wrong idea. Everybody who owns a Martin guitar has a real Martin guitar. The Authentic series is a very serious homage back to the way they used to make things long, long ago. And we'll get into the details as we go along. But if you've got a D28 from the Standard Series or a Triple O28 from the Standard Series, don't feel like you don't have an Authentic Martin. We're just talking about the series per se. But I'll be honest, Spoon, when I hear the term Authentic, I think it's just even more true to life, even more true to the way the details are. When you buy something from the Authentic series, there's something about that construction, those ingredients, and the fact that they're made in the custom shop that really speak to how the, the Martin guitars used to be made way back in the day. I think that's uh, very accurate. I think it's very important to uh, remember a few things about the Martin company. When Chris Martin took over the company from his grandfather, so we're talking now, the now uh, chairman of the board, uh, C.F. Martin IV, at that time, that company was focused very much on making whatever the, the product was right then, not looking back to the past. And he famously said that our number one competitor is old Martins and used Martins, um, mm -hmm. and that that's, who that's what their product is being compared to. He did bring the company forward into the, into the future uh, with modern technology, uh, particularly when it came to the neck shapes and the neck rod that allowed for uh, more comfortable, lower profile necks, things of that nature. And at the same time, he was the one that seriously said, we need to take advantage of our legacy and start bringing back things like scallop bracing. They had begun scallop bracing in the 70s again, but a repairman in Ohio in the late 20th century reached out to Martin and asked them, so why was it that you changed the position of the X brace in 1939 from what we now call forward shifted bracing to moving it uh, farther back from the sound hole, more importantly, closer to the, to the bridge plate? Martin wasn't even aware of it. There was nobody at Martin in the 1970s that even knew that happened because they focused on the day-to-day -day modern product that they were putting out. Are you saying that at some point, Martin Guitar changed from forward shifted to rearward shifted, and it wasn't a big strategy and a big aim at a different tone? It was just, we didn't realize we did it. That's correct, as, as amazing as that is. And there's other things like that along the way. 
But you know, by even by the '60s, people were beginning to play old Martins and loving old Martins, and there weren't that many of them around. And people, of course, people famous, you know, when you call pawnbroker guitars and things like that. But that's when some of the you know the big stars like Stephen Stills and other people like that were falling in love with the old Martins and beginning to talk to Martin about bringing some of that back. And what they did, instead of going back to scallop bracing in 1965, they started using thinner bracing on the D35, thinking they were getting a more resonant sound that would be more like a, a vintage guitar without returning to scallop bracing, because nobody knew how to scallop braces at Martin at that time. And they accidentally invented a whole new Martin sound. And then eventually they brought in scallop bracing with the HD28, then the first OMs and the first Ms were scallop braced because they were based on vintage Martin Arch tops that had been retopped with a flat top and all that stuff. So we have this mishmash of the old way at Martin influencing the new way. And then, then you have your vintage series and your Golden Era series, and each one is trying to get a little more like vintage Martins to please the appetite for guitars that are more like vintage Martins. And then they finally, in 2005, came out with a guitar called the D18 Authentic. And the D18 Authentic, you mentioned these guitars being built in the custom shop. Until this time, the custom shop wasn't a sequestered place. The custom shop was an office where Bob Fair sat, took custom orders, specced them out, and then they went through the regular assembly line, but they had special uh, notification on them, and only the most senior hand-picked people were making custom orders. So they still considered them better and special compared to the standard stuff. Now, when I say the standard stuff, and you mentioned authentic, nitpickers will talk about why are they calling it authentic when it's not exactly the same as my 1930-whatever Martin? <laughs> I grew up with standard meaning basic, like standard issue in the military, standard whatever. It's like the basic stuff. Well, Martin is an old company with old traditions, and people like Fred Martin, C.F. Martin III, um, and they, to them, standard meant we set the standard for the entire world of what a flat-top acoustic guitar should be. We are the, we produce the acoustic guitar that everything else is compared to. We are setting the industry standard. And I think that's uh, important for people to realize that's why they call the standard series what it is. It is, it is the professional level, all solid wood, handmade acoustic guitar to which all others are compared. The authentic series was just another term like golden era series and vintage series, another step closer, but boy, was it a lot more closer. So they got four people, four craftsmen and craftswomen to develop the D18 authentic by studying an actual 1937 D28 and a D, uh, D18 and other pre-war Martins to really get into the, the depth of what makes this guitar what it is. And they came out with the D18 Authentic. Um, one of those people was Dave Strunk, uh, a friend of ours. And he um, even, uh, he was in the original group that then trained the people that would make the Authentics and became the custom shop that little area where they made the authentics turned into the Martin custom shop. And I don't remember which, pre which president it was. It might've been Keith Lombardi who said, okay, there's all this nonsense criticism about us not having a little workshop where they imagine Geppetto with his draw knife, you know, making these magical <laughs> Pinocchios. And so they did that. And that little area that was where they built the authentics turned into today's custom shop where the authentics are still made to this day. Now, that guitar, 
changed a little bit over time. I remember after one of the Martin Fests, the old tradition was for people who were flying out of New York City would come home and sometimes crash with people like me who lived in New York City. And some other people would come and we would stop at Mandolin Brothers on Staten Island, which was a haven, a veritable hands-on museum of vintage instruments. And uh, Dave was there taking a look at the a brand new D28 Authentic and was talking about little things that differed from the ones he had made that very first year. Like the binding was a little narrower and that, you know, in the way they did things and that they were honing in on what these guitars should be. Uh, they made that D18 Authentic. They made the D28 Authentic. The biggest things about these guitars was they are made with very super thin finish, much thinner than Martin had used previously. The hand scallop bracing was much more uh, carved much more like they did in those days. And it was tucked bracing, which people hear me talk about all the time. Tucked bracing means that they carved notches on the underside of the X brace. So it sits on top of a bridge plate that's longer than today's bridge plates. Today's bridge plates now abut the brace. And so they still connect. But in those days, they tucked underneath the bridge plate. And that helps take that energy from the bridge plate and infuse it directly into the X brace to a greater degree. And the X braces are tucked into any place braces touch. One tone bar would tuck into the X brace and the tips of the X brace tuck into the cedar kerfing that is the little rim that the top sits on when it gets glued to the side. And this is all about superior energy transference. So that was a big deal. First modern Martins made with tucked bracing and the uh, longer but still very delicate maple bridge plate and the big V-necks. And the necks were beefier and bigger than you've got in the and the modified V that was in the vintage series and a little bigger and beefier than you got in the golden era series. The golden era series was basically a modified V with what they called a 1930s heel uh, that first appeared on the OM uh, 18 golden era. That's the first time the first model Martin tried to zero in to create a one specific vintage guitar neck. Ironically, it's much pointier and more veed than almost any early 1930s OM I've ever played. <laughs> that's what we got. So then, so they made the D28, the uh, D18 first, then the D28 came out, then the 00018, though maybe the 00018 came out the same time as the D28. The D28 Authentic, they called them D18 Authentic 1937, D28 Authentic 1937, 0028 Authentic 1937. The two Ds had basically the same neck and the 28 had Brazilian rosewood, another big deal. And so those were the authentics. People loved those guitars. We're all talking like 2005, 2006, 2007. At some point, they released the D45 Authentic 1942 that was inspired by the D45 that the museum owns in Nazareth, PA, which was one of the very last I don't think it is the, it's not the last. I know the guy owns the last, but it was one of the very last D45s made. And so those were the authentics. And after that long history, is there anything you want to ask me before we start talking about today's authentics? Yeah, I do want to ask you a couple of things, especially on behalf of our customers and our listeners. When you really think of the authentics you're talking about, the O5s and the O7s, and the fact that these guitars were not standards anymore, now they're authentics. If I'm correct, the biggest differences were the T-bar in the neck instead of the two-way adjustable truss rod and the hot hide glue construction, and not to mention just the bigger necks. And I remember it might have been the fall of 2005, we were having a, our annual Mari's Music Anniversary Party. It might have been sometime in you know, October or, or late summer. And Tim Teal was here with, I think, the D18 Authentic. And I asked him point blank in front of some other people, it, what's the big difference here, the T-bar the big neck or the hot hide glue? And he laughed. Yes. <laughs> so, well, what's the bigger <laughs> difference of all three of those things? And he said, listen, they all matter. And we've tried doing the T-bar and the glue, but keeping the neck small. We tried doing the T-bar with a big neck and white glue. We tried, they tried taking some things away. And when it all came down to it, and they wanted to make these guitars the right way, the combination of hide glue and the big necks and the T-bar 
that's what they had to do to get satisfied. And that's really the beginning of that series. Yes. And the uh, authentic bracing. I mean, it's all, it is a all package deal. I know uh, Chris Martin told me privately that when they were doing their testing on that very first, the very first D18s in blind tests, and he couldn't believe it. He didn't think high glue was a real thing. It stinks. It has to be refrigerated overnight. It has to be heated up in small batches and little glue pots, et cetera, et cetera. And he said that in the blind hearing tests, blind taste tests that they did, that the ones that were made, the uh, prototypes that were made with the hide glue sounded better, sounded more resonant. It was, it was a noticeable difference. So he went, you know, went ahead and okayed the extra expense to bring hide glue back to Martin Construction. So and now we go, uh, we jump ahead, basically ten years, and all of a sudden we have in 2013 they surprise us all with the new authentic series, and this is a major shift. We're now talking about the Fred Green era of at CF Martin and Company. Fred had come in from. Gibson or Fender, I don't remember which. I think he worked in both places at various times. I think he came in from Gibson. And he was the one that said, if we're going to do this, let's just not make a guitar like they made them back then. Let's take a particular Martin guitar and remake that guitar. And that's when they took a 1937 D28, a 1941 D28, a 1939 D18, a OM, 18 from 1933, and a very one-of-a-kind, almost weird D45 that I'll talk about uh, in a bit because <laughs> they make a version of it today. And they took them to the Smithsonian Institute, and they put them through all of their imaging stuff that they use in paintings and, and other things to see inside of things without destroying them, to find out as much as they possibly could about the thickness of the woods, about the, the thickness of the finishes, about the bracing, exactly how the bracing was laid, exactly where the bracing's laid out, etc. And at least in those first authentics, and they might still do this, they even tried to recreate the particular nicks and stuff that were in the bridge plates. And they put out those that first group of authentics. And they were they're wonderful guitars, spectacular guitars, um, every single one of them. Uh, my favorite of the bunch was actually the uh, 1941 D28. It and the D18 have rearward shifted bracing, which is even closer to the bridge plate than modern Martins are today. And a very, uh, very focused, detailed, expressive, you know, cannon shot kind of guitars and wonderful articulation is the word I'm looking for. So I really love that guitar. And it was one of the first ones gone. So I think people, I think the modern ear just really loves that forward shifted bracing. And so then they continued to come out with authentic models, each one of them trying to not just approximate, but trying to get as close as they can to that one's particular Martin. And in some respects, they've gotten better and better at doing that. And they don't stay around. They were never designed to be around forever. They retire them after, uh, after a time. So we no longer have an OM in the current Authentic Series offerings. We no longer have, because they, they came out with the OM-28. When they came out with the OM-28 Authentic 1931, that was the same year that they came out with the Vintage Tone System. And those guitars and the OM-45 Deluxe 1930, of which they only made 14, I think. Maybe they only, yeah, I think they only made 14 of them. Those guitars were the very first guitars released with the VTS, and they converted the entire Authentic series to torrified Adirondack spruce soundboards and torrified Adirondack spruce bracing. And so, which is now, you know, just part of what they do. And uh, we no longer have uh, Cayman Wint was the big Koa backsides and top triple O 28K, and that uh, came and went. The uh, 0017 authentic model, that has come and gone. The 0042, that was based on Kenny Sultan's old 0042 from 1939, I think it was. That's come and gone. You know, these various guitars, they, the number one rule about all of these guitars, they would only use 
a vintage Martin that was in all original condition, that had no repairs, that had, had no uh, replaced bridge, no replaced anything, no refinishes, none of that stuff. It had to be in immaculate condition, not including, you know, finished checking and nicks and, and dings and stuff like that. Um, and so that's been our authentic series. Now we're down to only dreadnoughts. We'll see if they, when, when they're going to get around to doing uh, smaller bodies again. And, uh, and before we get into today's authentic series, including those two very super cool new entries into this series that were just released at the most recent NAM show, I'm going to talk about the aging a little bit. They have the aged models. These are authentic models that then go through their aging process. Uh, this was the brainchild of Jeff Allen. Jeff uh, earned his bones in the Fender's custom shop doing the Relicking for Fender and has been in other companies and had a considerable experience in uh, these kind of techniques and studied uh, similar instruments from the United Kingdom and all over really of how people are doing. Uh, they don't call it Relicking because I think that's somebody else's brand name for this stuff, but so they call it Aged and uh, with a capital A. And so it is the same authentic model, but it has a special treatment done to the finish to produce a myriad of finish checking. Those are those tiny little hairline micro cracks you see in, in old instruments that come from aging and going from hot to cold and the lacquer drying out. And that a lot of people think actually has a positive effect on tone because it allows the wood to vibrate even more and breathe as they call it. Martin refuses to make any comments about the aging <laughs> having any effect on tone uh, because it's not something that's really measurable since there's so many variables in, in a solid wood instrument that, to, that you can attribute tone to. But people, certainly people who spend millions of dollars in violins consider it a, a real uh, thing. So they do that to the finish and they put in a very specific nicks and, and dings and wear along the edge of the neck where the thumb would have been wearing away the, uh, the toner and the finish over a decades of somebody playing them and all that to make them look. And I think they really do look, so when, you open it, when I open a case and I see an aged guitar, if you didn't have a label inside, if I saw it in a shop, I would, uh, from across the room or even picking it up, I would think it was a, a real vintage Martin until I turned it over and saw that it wasn't made with Brazilian rosewood, um, but the mahogany would probably fool me. So I think they do a spectacular job. Uh, Jeff used to do it all himself. He's now too big a shot now at Martin and has trained a staff of elves, so he's got his own pack of <laughs> aging, aging elves, as they call them. So he's no longer he's no longer rolling up his sleeves and getting them all inkied up for the toner and all that stuff. But but he still oversees that stuff. In fact, when he got his big promotion, they they basically said uh, you have to you have to still own the aging because he's he's really the man about that. So it's funny you said that uh, age with a capital A between my bursitis, my carpal tunnel, <laughs> and my new plantar fascia, I feel aged with a capital A. Yeah, how is that plantar fasciitis treating you? Oh, it sucks. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I limped right into this episode. and I, I mean, it's getting better every day, but man, for such a sports injury, for somebody like me, I don't know why I have it. Well, I have to, yeah. Yes. Well, I have to say it is, uh, I went through it and it took a very long time. So I'm glad you're on the mend. And I don't consider it an age injury because most of the people who get it are usually top professional athletes in their 20s. So, so I feel like we're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the last time you'll compare me to an athlete, but keep going. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so today's authentic series uh, instruments, you can get the D18 authentic 1939. This is based on a D18 from 1939, which any of our vintage Martin fans will know have rearward shifted bracing. Again, this the X-Brace crosses even farther from the sound hole, but again, it's really about the bridge plate because the closer it is to the bridge plate, the stiffer the top is around there and the stiffer the center of the lower bout is going away from the bridge plate as you head down the into the lower bout 
and about night we don't know for sure somebody some people think it's 1959 it could be as late as 1960 that's when it got moved a little more forward into the position that we use today in the standard series uh, I beg your pardon. It's not the position we use in the standard series because the standard series now has forward shifted bracing. So the standard series before the reimagined reimagining happened. Um, so anything from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, what used to be called the standard placement. And um, I don't know what they call it, Martin, now because the standard placement is now forward shifted. <laughs> well, they probably don't know either. If they don't know when they change from forward to backwards, <laughs> they're not going to know. Yes, indeed. <laughs> just like just like the headstocks, you know, we the headstocks are now these crisp edges to them, but they slowly got rounder and rounder because they kept using the same mold from the 1930s all the way up into <laughs> all the way up into the vintage series was the first time they they went back to the very crisp edges and that we now have on the standard series today and of course on the vintage series as well. So I'm, I've jumped. I've jumped my train of thought. So you have the that 1939 has rear shifted bracing. It has a one and eleven sixteenth inch nut width, with two and an eighth at the twelfth uh, fret and two and an eighth string spacing. <laughs> I was way late on my train whistle button. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the, so we have the D18. Authentic 1939 is uh, 1/11/16 inch uh, with nut. It's not as skinny as a feel to the neck up by the headstock as a modern Martin with that that neck width, because of course it's got a vintage uh, thickness to the neck. So I find it a very comfortable neck as those goes. This particular uh, guitar is pretty V'd when it comes to the the V, particularly when you get it in the upper frets. Um, that the the retired D28 1941 wasn't quite so V'd. Again, this is, these necks are based on the very specific guitar, and that's going to become important when we talk about the two new models. So you have that, that D18 1939 uh, authentic, and you have the D18 1939 authentic aged. And so you can get the aged version of that instrument. You have the, the D28 1930, I'm sorry, D28 1937 authentic aged. And the reason I'm saying that is those guitars that are in the shops right now are different from the D28 1937 authentic that was just released at the NAM show. So before we get into that, I'll talk about the, the, uh, the really interesting authentic, the D45S 1936 authentic. The S does not stand for the 12 fret body shape. S in the model stamp started to be used to delineate between a 14 fret dreadnought design and the slotted headstock 12 fret design in the 1960s when they were bringing back 12 frets for the folk musicians that were wanting something more like the old fashioned Martins. S in those days meant special, meant it was a special order. So they made one instrument that is still in immaculate condition, museum condition. It's owned by a private individual in Texas. So I have to guess it's a oil man. Jerry Jones? Uh, I don't know if it's Jerry Jones. I don't think he, he might play the guitar, but I don't think it's Jerry Jones. But <laughs> Cowboys. It's somebody that has the money to afford this guitar. And he gave it to the Martin Museum to copy. And what's special about it is it's a bigger body. It's bigger than any other Martin Dreadnought. It is 16 and a quarter inches wide. That's more than a half an inch wider than another Dreadnought. And the, the regular Dreadnoughts are 15 and 3 eighths, or 5 eighths. I think they're 15 and 5 eighths. So we're talking a good half inch wider at the widest part. And the waist also is not as brought in, doesn't indent as much, so it's a wider guitar. The actual original guitar is also deeper, but Martin decided not to use that feature. So there again, nitpickers are gonna say, well, how can you call it authentic when it's not exactly the same? And we will say authentic is just a brand name for this particular grouping of guitars. They're not saying that you can't find a single little thing that's different from the guitar it's copying. So it has a normal dreadnought size depth 
and that enormously wide top and back, and it is made with Brazilian rosewood. So that's important. The only the 45s in the authentic series have been made with Brazilian rosewood. The 28s and the 21 have been made with Madagascar rosewood, which they feel has a visual a beauty that's similar to the old Brazilian. Doesn't sound exactly the same, but it's still a very complex harmonic wonderland. And so here you have out there, I think it cost $60,000 when it was first released. They released it that first year in a very limited number, and then they brought it back. So they're making it again today if somebody wants to call up Mori and order it. And I don't think the price has gone up much. So it's a relative bargain at 60 some <laughs> thousand dollars uh, for a Brazilian rosewood extra large uh, 1936 D45 replica with a 1936 neck. It has the biggest, beefiest, one and three quarter inch wide at the nut, two and a quarter at the 12 fret. But the barrel on this thing is one of the true baseball bats. Because 1936 was the sweet spot <laughs> for the biggest necks Martin ever made. And this has got one of them. So if you've got big beefy mitts, this is, uh, and a big beefy wallet, that's a good <laughs> guitar for you. You really can't afford not to buy it. Yeah, exactly. How can you afford <laughs> not to buy it? Um, I like your salesmanship, Mark. Uh. Let's pause for a moment and listen to a sound sample of a Martin authentic guitar. This is the D28 1937. So that's covered us up to the two new models. So you want to talk about them as a dealer who has seen them firsthand? I would like to talk about the new models, but before we get that far into it, let me ask you a quick neck question. For example, if somebody wants to buy a standard series Martin guitar, they can decide between a D28, maybe a triple O18, and they understand that if you want to buy a Martin guitar in that series, they have that neck. If you want to go to the 17 series, they all have the same neck. Everything in the X series has the same neck. What is it with Martin and making these authentic models going all the way back before there was a series at all, and even into the recent past where all these different authentics, depending on their model name and the year, these necks could be wildly different. Do you know what the thinking is there? Well, yes, you almost answered your own question because as I said earlier, uh, it was decided that what they were going to do is copy a specific guitar. And that's, that's this modern authentic series. Those original 2005 and in that era, they actually, those three dreadnoughts, the 18, 28, and 45, basically had the same neck, but it was the authentic neck. Another difference is we're talking about really hand-shaped necks here, where up until Chris Martin had his way, when I started playing Martins in guitar stores, you could play D28 in Miami and one in... Seattle or even down the street and they would not have the exact same neck because you were still the CNC stuff hadn't come in yet and so these things are all being carved and shaped by different people you know they have templates they have these little silver plates that they go at this fret and they go at that fret and they have guides but you're still talking about a human being and the final sanding and all of that they got much better Chris Martin definitely wanted to be able to sell a D28 in Miami and D28 in Seattle and have those people confident that they're getting the neck that they know what they're getting. 
And with these authentics, they decided to go with that one neck. Now, you know that my all-time favorite neck is on the 1930 OM45 Deluxe in the Martin Museum. That is my all-time favorite neck. And when the first time I spent 20 minutes with that thing, when they were getting ready to make the authentic, and they had just paid almost a half a million dollars for it at an auction, I looked at a room full of people. I won't mention their names, but all of them are, are big people in terms of the people who really make these guitars happen. And I said, you should put this neck on every OM you make. And they kind of <laughs> laughed about it. And then, and I played the one on the D28. And it was like, but there's 45. It's just so much better to me than the one they put on the 28. And, and just begged them to put that uh, neck on the 28. That, that a lot of, you know, that uh, zillions of people were going to be allowed to play. And I wanted them to put them on the, on the vintage series, which was still, you know, still around then because it was such a great neck, but they know they're going to, this is the OM28 that they picked. It was Mike Seeger's OM28, and that's the one they're gonna make, and so on and so forth. And modern uh, players today can easily see what we're talking about or feel what we're talking about if they're lucky enough to go into a shop that has the new 2022 D18 Authentic 1937, and the new D28 Authentic 1937, because the necks are by no means identical. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And I, I guess I was asking you to answer for Martin, which you can't do. But to answer your question earlier about these two new guitars, I really got excited. I had early access to both of these. The week that the NAMM show released in, in uh, Anaheim, Martin you know, had some guitars on display back here in Nazareth. I got to spend almost one full evening with the entire lineup. So I had to go through them pretty quickly. I played the D2837 first, and I thought this really does feel comfortable. And I got excited that I might not be holding some authentics in my hand. They're going to have the really, really fat necks. Then I played the D18, and I'll tell you the truth with everybody listening. I thought that neck was big. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Wait, we'll, well, let's stay with these necks for a moment, and then we'll talk about those two very cool guitars. For one thing, our brains, at least my brain, uh, D18 Authentic thinks about the 1939. And before anybody asks, we don't know if it's going to be continued or not. That guitar has been around because people buy it. But this is now a D18 Authentic 1937. That was the moniker used on the 2005 Authentic. This is not that same guitar. This is as close as possible exact replica to a particular 1937 D18 that Martin didn't have back then. So it's not that neck. That neck's closer to the neck that's on the 28, that old authentic neck. And I think part of it too is not just that it's a bigger neck than the, than the other authentic D18 right now, that 28 has a particularly comfortable vintage V neck. I, uh, the first thing I thought of when I got it in my hands was the modified V from the vintage series that's on your OM. I didn't have a modified V Martin with a one and three quarter inch neck handy to compare it, but that's what it reminded me of. Um, it's uh, for a 1937 neck, it is not as chunky as I thought it was going to be in the upper frets and so forth. So you play that. I did the same thing you did. I played the 28 and thought, well, you know, maybe my old football injuries would come to not like this after a while, but the, the half hour I was playing it, it was like, yeah, I'm really impressed. I really like it. It's really comfortable up as you go up toward the heel. It's, you know, it's definitely much more like the, the old Golden Era series neck or the, or the Vinci series neck. And really liked it. And then I got that D18 in my hand. It definitely is bigger than that. And I think got the, I think it was a surprising change. And I think maybe it's it's not as big as we it was in our minds because we were going from that one 28 to the 18. But there's going to be a lot of customers out there that walk into shops and see those two guitars, and they're going to have the same experience. One of the things is it's rounder. It, it had the cheeks, the area the area about halfway between the apex at the back and the where it meets the fingerboard, that cheek area is more almost bulbous. It's, it's definitely not a, a pup tent kind of drop or any of those kind of V-necks. It's definitely rounder. So it almost feels like the, the V ends kind of quickly and the cheeks kind of puff out. 
And I think some people are going to really like that because it doesn't feel quite so veed in the, it doesn't feel quite so slanted in some people's hands are going to find that comfortable. People with larger hands are going to find that comfortable. People who are able to, that play, that don't play bar chords, that do all their barring with their thumb and their first finger, uh, like our friend Paul Yukina has got those kind of hands. And he's got one of the old D18 authentics. He may like this neck a lot. But yes, definitely by, like I say, they're by no means identical. Um, the string spacing is even different. The string spacing on the D18 is um, two and a quarter inch. And on the D28, it's two and five sixteenths. So it's even the string spacing at the saddle is different because that was the measurement on the actual guitar. And we've seen that before with the OMs where where most vintage OMs have a two and three eighths inch string spacing, but the OM that they made the authentic from is two and five sixteenths. And all they can say is we don't know why, but there may have just been a batch that that's what they went with. Maybe a dealer that was ordering a batch of guitars asked them to do that. There's nothing in the ledgers to explain. There's nothing in the ledgers that even mark that kind of stuff down from that era. Hmm. Of course, for a lot of people, the coolest thing about this D18 Authentic 1937 is the actual guitar that is, I didn't ask him if the museum actually bought it or if they just have it on loan, but they still have it, um, was owned by James Taylor. And he owned it for he owned it from some years, and that's been verified by uh, the artist himself. And uh, at one time, he sold it to one, one of his band members and um, bought it back from him at one point, and vice versa. Or maybe he bought it from the guy and ultimately sold it back to him. But that's the guitar that has been replicated, and I think people are going to really love it. You know, I. I was watching your videos made at the museum, and I feel like I wish we could have been back in the sound testing room uh, where you get you get a much better sound. That museum is just so cavernous yeah. that, the mic, that the mic has to be kept you know, pretty low level, and I don't think it does either of those guitars justice. I think you get an idea of what it sounds like, but you don't get that full-bodiedness of those uh, great authentics. And so I'm just saying as a caveat that they sound even better than they sound in the videos. And a lot of that had to do with, with uh, the environment that we were recording in and just couldn't be helped. But yeah, I thought that uh, I think it's a great guitar. Uh, we said high glue construction, that thin finish that they use at Martin with the vintage gloss, uh, vintage gloss, they used to not do that on the authentics. They just had a thin finish. And the thin finish is thinner than what a new Martin would have had in the 30s. This thin finish is as thin as an 80-year-old Martin has. They're down to microns where they couldn't possibly have put it on that thin in the 1930s with their hand sprayers. <laughs> so we're getting a and the thin finish and high glue together give you just this wonderfully resonant guitar that's just it's just more resonant than you can possibly get from an authentic series or or even a modern deluxe theory series it's just uh that the wood just gets to behave more freely as a result of the thin finish and you have a genuine long glued in bone saddle that uh the modern other martins that have long saddles it's a cosmetic so you can fit a under saddle pickup in it these are genuinely long so it's a longer thing and it sinks down into that bridge all the way across longer. And a lot of people feel that has something to do with vintage tone of how the energy that's coming from the strings into the, into the bridge is being transmitted into the bridge. I'm sorry, the saddle, then it gets transmitted into that bridge and gets transmitted into the bridge plate and, and onward. The uh, bridges are, are thinner and thinner in terms of top to bottom and the wings of them are thinner. And uh, they they do that more and more now on, on guitars at Martin, but the Authentics were the first ones to do that. And the uh, fretboards are thinner. It's a much thinner piece of ebony. And again, this is all about not uh, trying to do it the way they did. How much does that affect tone? Who can say? Stephen Sills said a guitar is a box with strings that rattles and every single thing you do to that box is going to affect how beautifully it rattles. They have, uh, an, you know, the T-bar neck, like you said, T-bar neck support, which is what they did back in the 1930s. Uh, you can't have a T-bar and a very thin neck, so so that's why we have 
you know, that's why they had the thicker necks and probably why they got thicker through the 30s. They were not very thick at all in 1930 with those first OMs and quickly got thicker and thicker. And by 35, 36, they got really thick, almost like there's an extra inch of wood between in placed inside the neck, you know, <laughs> uh, on its way to the V. And then by 37, that started to become a little less and they're still, but they're still a lot thicker, particularly in the upper frets. I'm sure they ran into some warranty issues with necks warping and stuff. People didn't take care of their guitars really as well as they do these days. And there were a lot of them were using what we would call medium strings or even heavy strings uh, at that time. And that makes me think of a good segue. We're talking about get the finish thinner and thinner and thinner, get the neck thicker and thicker. If you want to go the other way, a really thin neck and a really thick finish, we're going to do the Blue Ridge series pretty soon on Martins and more, and that's going to be talked about at length because I know a lot of our listeners recognize that the Blue Ridge guitars have a really comfortable thin neck, but some people complain the finish is a little bit thick. Particularly people who are used to Martins, there's an there's a lot of people out there, Collings guitars. You know, the, one of the reasons Collings sound the way they do is they got four steel rods in the neck. It's basically a combination of like a a sort of a dovetail V, but it's got four steel rods and a bolt. Really? And polyurethane finish. So it's a, it is a, though I don't know about their vintage nowadays, they make a lot of vintage instruments that might, I don't think they go, I don't think they ever went to nitrocellulose lacquer though, but there's a lot of, build, yeah, there's a lot of builders out there who use polyurethane finishes. Definitely behaves differently. The wood does not breathe the way natural nitro does. And so it's, you know, but some people love those, the sounds of those guitars. So it's, so it's a very much a matter of opinion to say one of them is superior to the other. Sure. But yeah, but, but Martin players are only used to playing Martins that then get, pick up one of those guitars can be really shocked at how, I don't know, it feels like the thing's been dipped like a candy apple, you know? So yeah, but yeah, but this is, but authentic finish much thinner. That beautiful vintage gloss comes from a letter that was found in the archives when they were finally going through the archives with that Canadian archivist, Greg, who uh, did uh, marvelous work to uncover all kinds of cool stuff. And one of them was a letter where Frank Martin, Chris Martin's great, great, I'm sorry, great grandfather, the man uh, who was extremely conservative, but recognized the importance of uh, giving the public what they wanted and embrace the Hawaiian music craze and the ukuleles in the teens and the, uh, was responsible for going with the dreadnought and responsible for the OM and going with the 14 fret guitars and, and all that. He wrote a letter to somebody detailing exactly how they finished their guitars. And I, the old timers that I knew uh, that had retired from the factory, they said that the old timers that were old timers when they were young always said that a 28 had a, a less gloss finish than the 45 and the 42. But really? they, had ne they had never found historical evidence to that until this letter. And so I don't remember what year it was that the vintage finish showed up, but they now use that on the 18s and 17s and, 20 and 28s in the authentic series. So it's still a gloss finish, but the way that it's buffed out is different. And it's a trade secret thing, so I won't talk about it, but it's, but it's just different. And so you'll notice it's not a mirrored, it's not as mirrored uh, in it. And, um, and it really just adds, frankly, to the, to the uh, authentic vintage look of these guitars. So, but it's not any different. It's still the same thin finish. It's just buffed differently to, uh, to a particular kind of uh, gloss sheen. Um, that you could almost call semi-gloss. I think it's beyond semi-gloss, but it's not as glossy as you would get on a 45 in the in the era. So um, trying to think, what else do we get out of that? I mean, the authentic bracing, the VTS uh, Adirondack bracing and Adirondack spruce top, and they don't have to put toner on the top because the when they torify that wood and the high heat uh, zero oxygen kiln, it changes the color of it. And, and so it doesn't look bright white like brand new Adirondack does. But yeah, just uh, they're tremendous guitars. And so that's the 18. And it's a bigger neck, one three quarter inch width that neck that everybody's been asking for forward shifted scallop bracing. That is as close to the exact bracing, exact shaping of the bracing on that one guitar that was owned by James Taylor. 
And with it comes the new D28, Authentic 1937. So why don't you bring us into that? Well, this is going to be a really great model for me because I'm a big Rosewood fan. And I had to listen to all that nonsense about mahogany for as long as you <laughs> rambled. And I just bit my tongue and I, I stayed here and I behaved. Let's talk about Guatemala and Rosewood. The new D28 Authentic 1937. It's not Madagascar anymore. It hasn't been Brazilian in a long time. Off the record, what do you think of Madagascar versus Guatemalan? And when I say off the record, I mean we're still recording. Yes, I know. I'm happy to talk about this <laughs> stuff. Um, so, yeah, just to, to remind people, the D28, an authentic 1937 that was made, came out in 2006 or 2007, was Brazilian Rosewood, and so was the D45. Uh, but when we came out with the modern authentic series, the D28 um, was Madagascar Rosewood, because Brazilian is a seriously endangered species, endangered species and the price tag it adds literally tens of thousands of dollars. Today, they have made the switch to Guatemalan Rosewood. They knew they were running out of Madagascar Rosewood. It's not really disappearing, but the Madagascar Rosewood with the cosmetic looks that is closest to Brazilian in their minds that they are running out of. And so they've known for some time that they were going to have to shift the authentic series to a different rosewood. Uh, they only started using Guatemalan rosewood relatively recently. The reason for that is they didn't need to, but it is not an endangered wood. So they were able, they're able to get it in a, you know, and from forests that are being managed in a sustainable way and all those important ecological things that Chris Martin is adamantly uh, concerned with and supports. But they are not just using any Guatemalan rosewood. They are, they are very specifically cherry picking sets that they feel look closest to Madagascar rosewood. So uh, Guatemalan can be quite crazy grain and uh, some really interesting wild grain stuff. Uh, the, the Guatemalan on my custom Triple O is that way, much crazier than the, than the ones that you guys made for sale that were based on that guitar. And um, the much more Cocobolo looking for, you know, um, and the stuff that they're on these prototypes that I saw and the one that's, you know, the production model that we saw at the factory and things like that, that wood has a, has a nice Martin look to it. And I think people will be happy with the woods that are on it. And for right now, it's very, it's much straight, more straight banding looking stuff. A lot of that Madagascar had those uh, classic Madagascar, what I call vortices, like a vortex, like a swirling circle, you know, and we'll yeah. see some of that in, in Guatemalan, but nothing like, like uh, you got in Madagascar, uh, Madagascar Rosewood. Also, they're going with a, a stain that's, uh, darker and browner, and I think heading, it's not uh, blackish like Indian rosewood would look. Um, it's definitely a lighter brown, and again, they're going for something that would seem to be a better transition from the Madagascar, which is a lighter, has more red in it, and more sort of red scale coloring to it. So they're keeping that dark blackness out of the out of this Guatemalan in terms of how they're staining it. And uh, I think it looks very handsome. I think it really brings out the grain really nicely. Uh, as for tone, I love Guatemalan rosewood. If you're going to talk about the, those kind of rosewoods, I used to say, let's say you have like a, you have like an arc like you would have with a protractor. And on one side is you have the, the very bright woods from the maple and the acacias like Tasmanian blackwood and that kind of stuff. And all the way at the other end, you have the really, really dark, uh, chocolate cupcake, soupy, thick rosewoody sounds of Macassar, Macassar ebony, which is not a rosewood, obviously, um, African blackwood, which is a rosewood. And so if I took that arch and I put Brazilian rosewood right at the top, I would put Madagascar over heading toward the mahogany brighter end, and I would put Guatemalan on the other side heading over toward that the inkiness of Cocobolo and Indian Rosewood and African Blackwood. So it has, to my ear, uh, one thing that a lot of Madagascar lacked was 
the inkier stuff you get out of Brazilian rosewood, the darker, thicker, warmer Brazilian rosewoods. That's why I always called Madagascar rosewood the mahogany lover's rosewood, because the bottom end was more open and airy, still bassy, still plenty of harmonic overtones, much more so than actual mahogany. But you didn't get into that inkwell and you didn't get into those dark cellars that you got from the bottomless Brazilian rosewood and, and the other darker rosewoods. And that's where I put Guatemalan. Um, it's, it has the uh, tonal properties uh, that I really like in uh, Brazilian rosewood. So I'm very happy to own it now. And I was quite happy they put it on this new authentic 1937 with the very comfortable V-neck and all of the same authentic -y features that we just went into detail about with that new 18. Well, let me ask you a really polarizing question, and I'll put it in a certain way that makes sense to people like me who buy Apple computers. And as soon as you buy it and you put it in the bag, it's old. And then you buy the new one, and then you're just <laughs> caught up for just, um, no, no, you're not caught up. It's just so fast. Can you speak to the people that bought Madagascar Rosewood Martins in the authentic style? Now they see the Guatemalans. Is this going to do one of two things? The people that bought the Madagascar, are they going to sell those to buy the Guatemalan? Or is this going to be a run on new old stock Madagascar so you can get one of the other ones before you're forced to make the change? Yes. <laughs> and I quote Tim Teal there, because of course the answer is yes. The answer is yes. There are going to be people who are going to jump to get a Madagascar Rosewood Martin before it's gone because they love Madagascar Rosewood or because they know that there was a coup some years ago, right when Martin was about to enter in a program with the Malaglasi government, Malaglasi government to, to help them learn to better manage their extremely precious natural resources. I mean, we're talking about Madagascar, which has been separated from Africa for a, a zillion years that has a whole unique to the entire world ecosystem. And Madagascar rosewood, by the way, is more than one species. There's at least two species that get used, but they're very similar. The coup happened. The government was overthrown. The new government was considered an outlaw entity by the world community and was basically Martin, I can say proudly, was basically the first major a company that immediately cut off any anything to do with them and said, we're never buying, you know, we're not going to buy any more Madagascar Rosewood, even though it was on the market for a long time. And so that's all leading up to it. It is a finite entity. And so are they going to be collectible? Are they going to go up in price? I don't know. For people who love Madagascar Rosewood, very, they very well may. Who's going to jump to this new one? And, and the people who can afford two authentics, for one thing. But we haven't even <laughs> talked about what may be the coolest thing about these two new Martins. The one thing that may make people say, I was going to buy that one, but I'm buying the new one. The shape of the body is different. The shape of the body is different from day one in 2005. Why can you call these things authentic when it doesn't have the exact same silhouette as a 1930s dreadnought. And that's true. The modern square-shouldered dreadnought has changed in shape little by little over the years. Again, one of those things they didn't even realize, but a modern dreadnought doesn't have the exact same silhouette to the top and back as a 1930s Martin. But just like when they got rid of uh, tucked bracing in the 40s and they got rid of forward-shifted bracing in the late 30s and all that stuff, at the time they did it, they just did it on some sound business reason and not really thinking that much about it. So this, and we're talking about the shapes. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the drawings. I've seen the drawings that people out there who are aficionados have put on the unofficial Martin Guitar Forum that show the outlines that have done the tracings. I've seen the tracings that Tim Teal did with his own hands. The difference is if you think about the shape of a dreadnought, you have the shoulders coming. They're not truly flat, but they're sort of flat, certainly compared to the old uh, slope shoulders they use for the 12 frets and then brought out for the DSS models, like that new very cool barley and hops model, hops and barley model. So it's a flattened shoulder. The shoulder comes around 
And then it comes around and goes down into the waist. It comes out of the waist and then creates that big bell of the bottom bout. The difference in the 1937 shape that is finally on these two new authentics, that curve coming around the shoulders and down into the waist is faster. I think of it as when you see a dress shirt all folded up in its packaging versus an L.L. Bean lumberjack shirt, it's tapered faster. So that means there's a little less cubic space in the upper bout. And then it comes into that waist, but then coming out of the waist, that roll off is also faster. That means that the bottom part of the bottom curve of the waist going down past the sound hole, that comes out faster. So the bottom bout there is a little wider. You can see it, but you can also feel it the moment you put, put it in your lap that the curve of the bottom bout just feels different than a modern dreadnought. I think you see it in the shoulders and the upper bout, you see it in the upper bout and the slightly slimmer trimmer waist coming out of the upper bout into the waist, but you feel it in that bottom bout when it's when your arms around it when you're when it's in there. So finally the nitpickers who have all this time said they've made all these changes based on this meticulous study. Why couldn't they give it us the old body shape? And the answer was makes dreadnoughts that size. They really didn't think it mattered in tone. Maybe it doesn't. Um, talking to Tim, it's entirely possible the actual cubic volume of that sound chamber is going to be exactly the same because what you lose in the upper bout, you make up in the bottom bout. And really, we're talking about the waist, not so much the bouts themselves. And could be exactly the same. But Stephen Stills would be probably the first one other than me to stand up and say, anything you change on a guitar could affect tone. And whether it's text fix it for the better or not, whether it's even perceptible without detailed microphones and meters measuring this stuff, I doubt we'll ever know because there's, again, too many factors. Every piece of spruce, every piece of rosewood or mahogany that goes on these guitars is truly unique with truly unique tonal properties, working together with all that other cool, authentic stuff. So finally, we have the real body shape <laughs> that people have hammered and asked for. Will they come out with an OM and a triple O with the real body shape? I hope so. I think it's in the works. I know it was on the drawing board before COVID. Is it really going to happen? Who knows? We'll see. We'll see uh, how well these sell. We'll see how well the economy recovers. We'll see how many people call them up who have the right kind of clout um, from their Learjet on the way to their next concert and say, so you did it to the Authentics when you're going to do it to the OM. I mean, the Dreadnoughts when you're going to do it to the OMs. But for now, here we have it. Does this mean they, uh, that the 1939 is going to go extinct, the D18 1939? Or is it going to get that body shape, the new body shape, and but keep the rear shifted bracing? That's my official answer. And uh, is it, you know, are we going to lose the, uh, uh, how soon are we losing this Madagascar D28? I think it's safe to say they stopped making them. And so uh, if you want them, you better buy them because they're going away and they're being replaced by the new Guatemalan Rosewood D28 authentic 1937 that has the new body shape. Yep, and hooray for you if you're listening to this and you've been waiting all this time for Martin to finally make an authentic Martin Dreadnought guitar the right way. Your day is here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Some of, I can just picture Grumpy from the uh, Seven Dwarfs sitting there saying, hmm, about time. But uh... <laughs> Either him or somebody in the congregation from Blazing Saddles, too. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie Johnson's right. Not only was that genuine frontier gibberish, but we've been waiting for this for a long time. Um, it's so weird. That's the only quote we can say on the air from Blazing Saddles without being in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, my closing remarks are there's a lot of people out there loving their authentic Martins, their authentic series Martins. So no, this is not like making those guitars obsolete by any stretch of the imagination. These are people who actually own 1930s dreadnoughts and love their authentics. And these are just a little bit more authentic when it comes to the construction and the shape of the body. I'm looking forward to seeing them. I think 
I think people are going to, you know, I got to play the 1937 D28 that was used to make this D28. I got to play the D18 that was used to make uh, this new D18. Sure, they're, you know, the necks are not exactly the same, but they're as close as they can get them. That's the important part. They're as close as they can get them in the, in, in the most important ways. And I think that's a, a, it's something that Martin does. And they do have trade secrets inside these authentics that they don't tell people about. You know, other people are out there making their versions of 1930s Martins. Well, this is Martin making them. And they, they do have some insider knowledge that they, that they will only speak about in vague terms. And I, you know, I envy the people who are going to be able to buy these guitars and play them. Well, Spoon, you know what the music means. We're out of time. I want to thank you again for the great conversation. And I want to remind you guys listening, if you're having a good time with this podcast, please share it with your friends and consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. From all of us at Mari's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. Music.com.